Coming up, a former CIA intelligence officer here to tell you the truth about what happened in Libya. Welcome to another Real American Heroes special edition. I'm Oliver North, and our guest today is Sarah Carlson, a former intelligence officer for the Defense Intelligence Agency and the Central Intelligence Agency. Sarah's counterterrorism career focused on groups operating in the Middle East, North Africa, and South Asia. She learned Arabic by traveling extensively through those areas. She's just authored a new book, In the Dark of War, which we're going to talk about in just a few minutes. Since leaving the agency, Sarah has continued in public service, now as an emergency manager in the Seattle area. Sarah most recently served as an emergency operations center manager during the COVID-19 pandemic. Sarah, tell me why you chose emergency management as your second career, and how did your experience in the CIA help you do that? So I actually interned with the Pierce County Department of Emergency Management when I was in college and 9-11 happened my senior year. And so I knew in that moment I wanted to do something more. My brothers, I have three brothers and they all joined the military. So I wanted to do defense and my boss at the time recommended the Defense Intelligence Agency. So I did that, um, applied, got the position there. And then eventually when I knew I was leaving, I wanted to go back to emergency management. I had really enjoyed it and being part of the response at the local level. And I really liked the idea of being able to use all my experience that I gained while serving as an officer overseas and um, with DIA and with CIA to be able to help my hometown. So I actually participated in a couple of um, emergency operations. So I had firsthand experience with that, um, including the evacuation. And so I just really wanted to apply that to help my hometown, to help protect my local community. What was your specific role out there in, in the state of Washington? Because you, you're, you're at the kind of the epicenter initially. Yes, it started out here. So it was actually in late February when we stood up the Emergency Operations Center. And um, during the first week, I served as the EOC manager. So we were really quite focused on coordinating with the health department. It was their lead. And so we were supporting them with things like setting up isolation and quarantine sites. It was a lot of planning. So we were sending out a lot of notifications to people, just letting them know what was going on. Um, we wanted to help spread as much information as we could. So now we've sort of shift more to safety plans and um, focus on, okay, so when we return to work, like what, what do we need to do? Like, do we need to wear masks and um, sanitization? It's a lot of logistics focus. So getting all those supplies and trying to find them because of course the personal protective equipment was in short supply for a while. You know, I mean, one of the things that, you know, you, we all have that same kind of experience with the government, the senior levels of government, and I did in the Marine Corps. One of the things that, that everybody puts away in cases and forgets about until they actually need them is what we used to call full mop, the uh, protective clothing and masks and gloves and boots uh, for chemical agents and the like. Seems to me that there was very little planning done getting ready for that personal protective equipment the likes of which desperately needed all over the country. Were you guys as well prepared as, as you'd want to be? We were not prepared to provide everyone masks. So that was the challenge. We were very focused on getting them to the um, healthcare workers, to law enforcement and firefighters, the people that would be out there interacting with the community the most. I do think 
we could have been better prepared. We should have had more protective equipment, and that's something that we are always working on. Look, I, I've got uh, hand wipes. I've got uh, sanitary wipes to, to, to wipe my hands with. I, I wear a M95, N95 mask, which, by the way, probably is a knockoff, probably from China. Uh, <laughs> I wear a baseball hat and gloves, rubber gloves, or non-latex, but those nitrile gloves. And when I come home, because my wife and I are the grandparents of 18 grandkids, I take off my shoes, I take off my gloves the right way uh, that we all learn to do in the military. There are some of the grandkids that think granddad's overreacting and others that think, gosh, where do I get my N95 mask? What, what, do, you, yes. what do you see coming down the line given what we now know today? Because it could all change tomorrow. Well, I think we're concerned about a second wave and we are preparing for it. I think there are other impacts that are affecting some people more than others as well. And with the children, you know, I see with my nieces and nephews, and we have a ton of them. Um, it's been really hard for their parents. Um, I have one brother who's a single full-time dad and he has to go work. So his three little girls are at home and they don't have school. I know other people who've lost their jobs, people who are having a hard time, you know, just getting food on the table. So it's impacting people in different ways and on different levels. And I see, I think we're going to see a lot of the second order effects of that for quite some time to come. Well, I, it seems to me that, you know, we've now had protests all across the land. Very few of the protesters, and I'm, I'm not criticizing legitimate protesters, don't get me wrong. I think there's a big difference between civil disobedience and, and the total breakdown of law and order to the point where you've got riots and, and arson and vandals. But it looks to me like with all those people gathered in all those places, not wearing masks, the CDC better be right, because otherwise there's going to be a second wave, it looks to me. What do you think? Yes, I'm quite concerned about it. Again, I as well 100% support people's right to protest, um, sure. but there are large crowds, so we're pretty worried about it. There are people who describe this as a war. You have been in the war, in the dark of war. This is the, this is the book, a CIA officer's inside account of the U.S. evacuation of liberty. It's terrific, because you sent it to me electronically. <laughs> I want you to know this is a great read by a very brave young woman. And just give our viewers uh, and listeners an account of what you experienced and encourage them to go out and buy this book. This is about what came after the Benghazi attacks in Libya. So I think people are very familiar with what happened in Benghazi and some of the controversy, but they're not as familiar with what happened to us in Libya and those of us who remained there and continued the mission. So there was a deepening divide in Libya that continued and it continued to deepen. The civil war started in July of 2014 and it started with a bombing campaign. So they were launching rockets and heavy weapons and small arms fire. So it, it was quite heavy and it lasted for about two weeks before we were finally able to evacuate. So it goes into quite some detail about what led up to that, and then what it was like being caught in that situation and how we were ultimately able to escape. Well, uh, you're a very brave young woman, a very smart young woman. You speak Arabic a whole lot better than I do, and I've spent way too much of my life in that part of the world. In the dark of war, Sarah Carlson, it's a great read. Don't miss out on that opportunity. Sarah, one last question. 50 years from now, when you're still around, I'll be gone. But what do you want my great-grandkids to know about what you did in this extraordinary time in history? I hope that they know that we have not squandered our opportunities, that we 
of hearts of service and that we want to continue that service and we are making the best choices that we can and we have the opportunity to do so much for our country right now for equality to maybe end the war in Afghanistan after all this time and and I hope that we do not squander our opportunities. God bless you. Well said. Sarah, thank you for being with us today, providing facts our fellow Americans can use in these challenging times. We're going to continue documenting the history of this never-before crisis with these special coronavirus episodes. If this episode has been helpful, informative, or encouraging, take time now to subscribe and let me know how these unprecedented events have affected you and yours. By doing so, you may become part of this historical record of how America persevered and once again prospered. And remember, Semper Fidelis is more than a slogan for U.S. Marines. Always faithful is a way of life. Now, America, press on, press on.